Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion now to our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you may know her best as a former NCAA singles champ while playing at the University of Miami. Of course, now we know her as the head coach of the University of Oklahoma women's tennis team. Welcome back to the show, Coach Audra Cohen. Coach, welcome. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. It's got to be nice to be introduced as an NCAA champion in all these interviews you do, right? Like that never gets old. It, it, I guess it doesn't in, in theory, but at the end of it, it, it doesn't matter anymore as we continue to chase championships as a team. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great thing for a resume and for life, and it's a great history, but uh, it by no means defines uh, the coaching side of things. Sure. But I am curious, uh, just to start today's show, obviously, again, you play college tennis, you're back coaching college tennis, you have clearly found some sort of love, some sort of passion for the sport. And I'm curious, where does that passion come from? What has someone like you decide to dedicate your life to the sport of college tennis? Yeah, I think the big thing is just making sure that college tennis is serving the correct purpose in each of these student athletes lives. So the development side of it, you know, we, we compete so hard in recruiting and we, Mm -hmm. we just, uh, it's a grind. Every piece of running a program is really, it's kind of a grind, but the best part about it is the development piece. And, you know, I think having, making sure that we're serving our athletes in that manner so that they're prepared for the tour, we should be a development league. And I think for myself, um, 
you know, it, it could have been a better development league as a player when I was in college. And I, I think that's something that we're starting to see that transition of, of college tennis really preparing us for the tour. And, and I, I think that's my biggest goal as a coach is, is doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so interesting to hear you say that, and right away I can tell this podcast is going to go well because you talk about the developmental side of college tennis. And something I've been exploring with all these coaches is what is the role of the fall? Is the fall, you know, supposed to be best for preparing the dual match season, getting the players ready to compete in the team format? Or is it for that individual development? Are the individual events we play, the All-American, the Fall Nats, the Regionals, you know, more worthwhile than perhaps playing hidden duels, which are the closest proximity to a dual match? I'm curious what you view the role of the fall as. Yeah, I think that the fall is a great developmental period and the fall is what you make of it. And if you want to be a pro, then you need to have a pro driven fall schedule. If you want to be a really good college player, then you need to have more of a college player driven schedule. If you don't want to play fall tournaments, you shouldn't have to. Like, I mean, we, we force a lot of players to go out there and grind every weekend and, and maybe they're more team people. And I think that's something that, and then you break down their their confidence and they really just want to be a part of a great team. So I think working backwards from the individual goals is what the fall's purpose is. And that's how we've addressed it. And I think that's been pretty successful. The The tricky part of that is maintaining that team camaraderie mm-hmm. along the way as, as you have athletes going in different directions for individual competitions. And that's been a challenge. But as long as the end of the fall, you end it with – a team-like event or a lot of team camaraderie building. So even when we went into eight hours, for example, this year, we actually kept them as a team and did insane team competitions mm-hmm. for the last really two weeks of the of the fall schedule. And we might have taken a step back from a developmental standpoint, but the competition and the camaraderie that was built in that time was really important. Mm-hmm. And you referenced the eight hour there, of course, a reference to the eight hour rule. And that's something, you know, four hours on court, four hours in the gym. You guys are also, you know, 25 competitive dates limits your schedule throughout the course of the year. And you talked about it right there. These players who are coming to Oklahoma, coming to college tennis, they have pro aspirations at this point. I'm curious, and I know it's an NCAA rule, but is the eight hour rule enough? Is the 25 competitive dates enough? Or is that something you'd like to see reexamined to reflect the modern physical demand? in tennis i don't think it needs to open up completely where we're in 20 hours all year long Mm -hmm. i think the big piece that is frustrating is the voluntary portion of it so because in tennis we don't have a safety exception on the tennis court we aren't able to go around those four four hours so if a player asks for more time on the court we have to say no and that's probably the most frustrating thing as a coach because you want them to be to be wanting to go out there and, and play more and also in that time frame, they might have a day where they don't have classes because it's dead week or finals week and they don't have anything that day. So I think it really, it's just, it hurts the the athletes the most, especially the ones that want to be good. And, and it forces them to, to seek other resources when you want them to be at your, at your school working hard and, and helping them grow. So you don't want to have to say no in those situations and it just it's too many coaches it sounds like are put in a position where someone will come to you and you have to say no you've hit your four like i can't work with you anymore to me that's just absurd like i I just don't understand why we would put a that's why they come to tennis right for that coaching 
Right. And I, and I think that's something that the student athletes need to speak up about mm -hmm. because that's something that can we, we can push the legislation as coaches, but mm -hmm. ultimately if the student athletes don't speak up about it through their SAC groups, their student athlete advisory committee, ours is called SAIL here. And that's something that I constantly talk to our athletes about is that they need to be proactive about changing their experience and being leaders about what they want their experience to look like and, and empowering them to do that. And I think a lot of coaches might want to shy away from that because then, you know, the players have the control, but ultimately, I mean, it's, it's becoming more like a pro league than anything so I, I think that's important is that we've got to push them to create this experience that they want and and then they have no regrets at the end of it and they've gotten better along the way yeah you have to also love that the dead period in college tennis comes two weeks before the season starts it's like all right we're gonna give everyone a month off but then we're gonna get rocking and rolling and it's like well that doesn't seem to help anyone uh so you know that's always fun and i'm curious i want to go back how difficult was last fall, the fall of 2020, with all of the – I know, you know, Big 12, some schools were able to do a few more things than, say, what a Big 10 school was able to do. But obviously, you know, how difficult was that for your team, or particularly, you know, on the younger side with a roster, just did you feel behind the eight ball entering January? Yes, I, I think everybody did, and sure. uh, and as long as you knew that everybody did, it was <laughs> sure. it was uh, that's the way to get over that you know low confidence hump, I guess you could say. But the fall last year was was interesting for me personally. I think personally it was a really difficult difficult time because of uh, I I didn't have an assistant for at least like I think four months of the fall, and uh, and so it was just me, and we couldn't get our players back. We had a freshman who couldn't get her visa. We had so many complicated issues and then and also um you know not not wanting to come back if not everybody was coming back and uh but we ended up having only three student athletes here and those three really turned the corner for the program as a whole and um my ability to invest in them i think it really taught me a lot about how important it is to have that one-on-one -on -one time with each student athlete and and to make sure that i'm investing a lot because ultimately as the head coach and this is what comes with the name of it right mm -hmm. is that your opinion and your help and your and your input and your investment really count a lot for each one of them and um you know leaving that for assistance and expecting them to be able to do the same is is you know if if once they build a really good relationship and it's and there's continuity but like you, it's very difficult to do that when um when you have a head coach ultimately they're always going to care more about what the head coach thinks and says so um that's the nature of the beast and then i you know i was trying to get our staff here and having a lot of holds on on hiring and a lot of holds on a lot of different pieces it felt like we were in this uh i was trying to move trying to move and we were just a boat in ice <laughs> and just stuck and that that feeling i think as we kept just pressing on a little bit and cracking the ice that's really what the the confidence going into the spring felt like mm -hmm. And this is a bit of a tangent, but can I just say the picture of Jose on the team website is just mwah. Like, it is just <laughs> delightful that he kept the mustache. Is just yeah. that's, a that's a critical piece for Oklahoma, I think, here in 2022. But, uh, again, looking back at last year's team, you know, you guys go 15-7 and seven overall. And I think something that was so interesting when looking at that record more closely, five of those seven losses were 4-3. And I feel like that might be where you swear at me. So, you know, I'm breaking 
season <laughs> for it. Don't worry. Yeah. But what did you learn about this team throughout the course of the season? Because it feel it felt like you guys beat everyone you were supposed to beat, and even in those premier matches, like your team's so close to getting over that finish line. Yeah, I think that's exactly what what we learned is yeah. that we're we're right there. And and I think what the the biggest lesson here is it's not really about ability at some point it's that it's really about the the belief that you can get over that hump of that next you know we, we finished for the first time in the top 25 since i've been here and probably one of the highest rankings we've had as a program overall in, in the history even since before i was here so um you know i think the big piece here is like knowing that we're there and not being complacent with being there at that four three with texas at that at that level but but seeing that as okay we've got to work a little harder we've got to push a little bit more and that's in every piece of the program that's in in development that's in recruiting that's in um mental skills work like all of those pieces are important in this and i think that's the the motivation is we've got a taste of it and now let's let's go and and go to war at that level and and come out as the the winner Mm-hmm. How do you guys go about duplicating the double success you had? Because it did feel like in all of the big matches, even, you know, again, USC and the two Texas matches, even when you drop four, three decisions, you're taking doubles in those matches. And there wasn't too much variation in your doubles teams either last year, which, you right. know, again, I, I, I've been going through. Usually you get, you know, seven to ten doubles teams throughout the course of the year. You guys were on the lower side. What clicked so well in that point? Yeah, I think uh... – I'm a huge fan of continuity when it comes to doubles partners and doubles pairings. And I think that doubles, if you, when they're in a slump, if you change them out of that, they still will end up getting to that same problem mm-hmm. that they had before with maybe with a different partner partner. So for example, I can't make my forehand return cross or <laughs> I got to play a different side. Like you're always going to have those issues that come up late in a relationship in a doubles relationship where the hole has become or their their weakness has become a big problem and and i think instead of changing them to a more comfortable environment we work through those so we'll have a meeting we'll actually dis- discuss it straightforward mm-hmm. and then we'll get to work on it and and i think that's part of why we've had maybe more continuity with team to team like player to player that really the only thing that has changed our our teams has been an injury that might force us to look at a different option so um, but I'm I'm a huge fan of that of, of building that camaraderie with your partner and working through challenges, not just changing it up every time a challenge arises because challenges are going to arise no matter who you play with. And um, and I learned that really early in my career. I think I used to look at it and be like, okay, let's just try this and this, and like you're looking for this magic potion. And ultimately, when you're looking with, for a magic potion with eight pieces that are all flawed in some way, mm-hmm. really in, improving those flaws is is the potion. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> and so, yeah. I would say, well, with that in mind, it's so interesting to see that you guys only played three teams this fall as well. And you sort of stress that continuity over, you know, getting anyone in the system. And I know, you know, you guys only had seven players compete in singles as well. So there's only so many doubles permutations there. But I'm curious if this comes from your playing days and if this influences your coaching philosophy do you like to let these players play through their mistakes yeah I think that's the biggest lesson you can learn it's like I I, one of my biggest pet peeves is if we're doing a drill and they have to finish on making the last ball like making that last ball perfect like give me 12 more and I'm Mm -hmm. like no you stop there you deal with it you sit with it let it bother you a little bit 
It doesn't define you. Next time we do the drill, you're going to, you're going to think I got to get better at this. That's it. Like you can't manipulate success here. Like it, that's something that I think is important that they learn is that resilience of failure response, that, that resilience of, of dealing with those hiccups along the way and, and working through them and finding ways to get better, even though they they're there. And, uh, and so that's definitely a lot from my playing days. I think a lot from my upbringing, it's like, uh, you can't just, I grew up around parents that had a small business and they sell art. They're in the art industry and that's a really different and you have to be very resilient. It's like, who's going to tell you how much a piece is worth. And, um, you know, if somebody, if a client says, Hey, that's ridiculous, you, you got to look at it and say, no, I, I'm going to find a client that, that buys into this. So you got to keep working. And that's, that's how I was brought up. And that's how, how we really raised the team here too. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. I'm looking in the background now of your office and the art influence. Yeah. I'm like, okay, it's coming together now. I'm starting to see it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, talking about taking those chances, this is it's not a fair comparison because of how much better they are than my brother and I were. But I remember in high school, I had an older brother, two years older than me, and we were on the team together. And there were just a bunch of people who were taking the ACT, SAT, whatever. So it was at the point where our coach had no option but to play he and I together at one doubles. And like, we were so excited. We had a great weekend, but he was just like fundamentally in his head. He was like, no, I don't play siblings together. And we were like, but we're the good kind of siblings. Um, obviously, the Corleys we're a good type of siblings. They go yeah. 27 and three in doubles last year. And obviously they've stuck together in the fall here this year. Was there any reservation in playing sisters together? How fun is it to watch them experience that sort of success? Yeah, I think the uh, watching them compete together and watching how they really bring everybody in the building or on the, in the facility on their shoulders and say, Hey guys, let's go. We've got this. Like they have so much more confidence when they're together because they understand each other so well. And, and with that, and I think as their success has really, they've been able to shine so much in college tennis. And, and I think their success has now brought on pressure of of having to win and having to perform and and that that that's a pressure i think is so great for them to have to deal with in life because that's it, you're always going to have that you grow 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 and then you hit a spot where you've got a lot of new pressure and you've never really had to deal with it at that level and they're learning how to work through that and that's going to be a big part of their career overall if they play doubles together for the rest of their career in tennis they could be top 50 in the world easily if they continue to climb and work through these moments where you know they they should win a match and and finding ways to get better even though you should win a match and that's something that i think um, they're learning uh, quite a bit this year, especially, and uh, they have to continue to grow on that uh, spectrum. But to, you know, we we might be more solid throughout the lineup if we split them up. And I think I think we've thought about it a couple of times. But ultimately, um, you know, they they've got to learn how to work through those challenges together as sisters and also as as doubles partners. Mm-hmm. So being sisters doesn't always make it easier to work through those challenges. <laughs> sure. It's easier to be like passive aggressive and like, but it is easier to work through the challenges when you deal with them. Mm-hmm. So when we sit down and we say, okay, let's like, let's have a talk about it. But they mm-hmm. do need a lot of, of that. And, and I think it's been great to have our staff here that can help to mediate, not just their relationship and in, in that sounds mediate sounds more like they're fighting. It's not, yeah. it's more help them help each other. Cause they're very different. I think that's something that people don't recognize is like they're both really bubbly and like, but they like their clock ticks a different way. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and they have the same values and the same core, but ultimately like they have a little bit of what each other needs mm -hmm. <laughs> and getting them to see that and, and understand how strong they are because they have each other is, is really big in their relationship. No, I have a theory, all doubles partners, all doubles pairings. It's like any relationship. There's love, there's affection. There's, you know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta throw in the high fives in. There's gotta be some physical connection as well. And so, yeah, yeah man, it really is managing those relationships for sure. But, you know, again, looking at the success your team had, it felt like last season you guys had really solidified your top four in the lineup. Mm -hmm. And it felt like, you know, the Corleys and Mar uh, Martina and Dana, that they had really found a recipe to, okay, we're going to win doubles. We'll find three of the top four. And I know that's not something you think about yeah. explicitly, but that's obviously something us pundits like to look at. That said, you know, again, not to diminish the depth because I do think that depth is there, but, you know, how critical will that depth be for your team moving forward? And what growth did you see from, you know, uh, Pavlinska and from, uh, you know, just the bottom of your lineup throughout the course of the year? Uh, huge growth in terms of um, understanding what the battle really is sure. because I think that's the diff most difficult part of, of playing in the bottom half of the lineup and, you know, how you, how you get the mental side of it to turn the corner is really uh, the most important thing from a coaching standpoint, because the, their battle is trying to make the lineup. Mm -hmm. Their battle is not trying to win at their spot. Their battle is trying to make the lineup. And when their battle is trying to make the lineup, then they make the lineup and there's so much pressure to sustain that. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's the hardest thing to un like to de brainwash that yeah, sure that theory is like well if you make the lineup you're in the lineup for a reason you you've earned that spot and now your job is to earn the next spot and to earn the next spot and and to continue to get better and and not to put pressure on yourself that oh if i lose i'm out and um you know ultimately i think that's that's the most difficult thing from a coaching standpoint is like you if somebody loses at six and you've got a good seven what are you going to do <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're they're right. Like they have to they have pressure to sustain their spot in the lineup and there is pressure and it's not something we can ignore. And uh and I think that's the biggest thing that they've learned is that if you fight only for that spot and your only drive is to be able to play and you're not really getting better in that process and you're not really getting hungrier to to kick the other team's <laughs> in that process. Like then you you really aren't you don't deserve to be in the lineup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like that's the pressure, right? That's the most difficult part as the head coach is, you know, making that decision. And I have a question about substitutions later that I think you might enjoy because I'm sure yeah. there are those days where you're like, all right, uh, we're just making the pull. We're going to throw you yeah. in. I'm sure you wish you had that lever you could pull yeah, as a coach. Absolutely. But, um, you know, as someone who I believe NCAA singles finalist as a freshman, correct? If memory serves me correct, you know, correctly here, you, you understand the difficulties of having that degree of success as a freshman this is my last question for you before we transition here to 2022 but we have to talk about the season that Dana had because obviously to go 19 and 2 as a freshman I don't care what position you're doing that at that is an absurd amount of success and obviously that sets a standard for herself now she's think yeah. you know I think I can achieve this moving forward I'm curious what clicked so well for her particularly given you know Dana joined in January it's not like she had a full fall how do you experience that sort of success as a freshman yeah i think uh 
the one thing that that Dana has that uh, we call her Dana Guzman or we call her Guzzi. Guzzi. I like it. Um, Guzzi, she the the one thing she has that a lot of players don't have is a, a she's playing chess. Everybody else is just hitting balls, you know, like she's she's out there and really thinking through and um, she's an engineering major and a math like a math whiz kind of a, sure. a problem solver. And I get along really well with her because of that. I like that part of the game. And so tennis IQ is something she has a, a good amount of. And sometimes I think the pressure, uh, if she can get herself into that problem solving mode rather than focusing on that pressure, then she's going to be playing her best tennis. So trying to keep her in that mode and keep her disciplined with like problem solving constantly on the court is, is her big challenge. And then, um, you know, trying to keep her fit and strong is the other challenge too. And I think she's never really had to stay fit and strong throughout her career. She hasn't focused on it as much as maybe like the tactics and, and uh, shot selection and things like that. So for her, her game is is pretty cerebral and making it more physical has been our goal. But um, I think you're absolutely right. The biggest pressure is the, the second year after having a great first year. And um, the goal for her is she didn't, you know, while she had a good season, she didn't get like, she wasn't an All-American. She wasn't, uh, she didn't get a lot of the accolades that she saw some of her teammates and some other of her, her uh, opponents in, at other places get. And I think that made her hungrier to do it and being in that two spot and, and just, you know, she, she has a new hunger for college tennis. She understands it more. She wants, she wants to be able to make history here. And, uh, and she's a fantastic team player for somebody who's came in really quiet, unspoken, like soft-spoken. Um, she's really blossomed a lot and she's got more of a voice and she's been more of a leader. And I'm really proud of, of the person she's becoming and that's really helped her tennis game also. So yeah, undoubtedly there's pressure going into next year, but that pressure is a privilege that you have to, uh, you've got to be thankful for it and continue to grow with it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, again, with her, with the Coralie sisters, you know what you're bringing back at the top of the lineup. But, you know, as we transition here towards 2022, uh, I'm curious, A, let's just start here. How nice has it been for you to just have a full fall again, to be able to say, all right, let's go to work? Yeah, it, it was uh, pretty fantastic. I think yeah. the hardest thing this fall was like there were so many options to play that we probably mm-hmm. overplayed. And, okay. and so we're probably learning that lesson of like, you know, sometimes training weeks are actually far more important. And, uh, and because you have other things that you can play, I think we all forgot that. And that's why you're going to see a lot more injuries overall, I think throughout the country because of the amount of play, uh, versus the amount of training weeks. So I think that's something we definitely learned from the fall and, uh, and over, yeah, over scheduling, I gave them a lot more autonomy on their schedule this fall. Like we basically made a menu and, uh, ba- worked backwards from their goals what what do you want to do and what who do you want to be you want to be a pro let's go like let's look at this schedule and this schedule and um i think they learned more about the rules and dates of competition than they ever, ever have before um <laughs> uh, just trust from and and that's a, an important part of it is like yeah. if you don't understand why as coaches we make decisions then you're going to make up your own reason mm-hmm. and and so teaching them why why we send this coach here, this coach here, and this coach here. And, um, and the strategy behind it is, has been really, uh, it helps all of them understand and, and be a part of it and, and embrace it. So I think that's been a big piece. Um, we had some, you know, having, we added Lane Sleeth and she had a great fall for her and, 
having your play a whole fall all the way through was was really big too and ended the season ranked top 20. Um, the Corleys, you know, it, Carmen had a little injury here at the Norman Open. So, um, you know, we learned so many different lessons and might not have won any big accolade or award along the way, but the, these lessons we learned this fall, they, they'll stick with us and that's going to make us a lot better going into the spring. You talk, you know, about the communication between you and your players, the honesty you have with them to just say, look, this is a problem. Let's talk about it. Let's lay it out there. And again, not to harp on this, but that just feels like something and not to criticize any past coaches you had because I'm sure they did this as well. But is that the disconnect, in your opinion, when players get frustrated and get upset, whatever it is? It's just a lack of transparent communication because that, to me, feels like something you have. It sounds like you are stressing very much with your players. Yeah, I think that's our biggest challenge is that as coaches, we feel like we're not allowed to say things (laughs) as they are. We have to sugarcoat. We have to uh, beat around the bush. We have to do so many things just to get across this one message. Hey, you're not working hard enough Mm -hmm. or uh, you're being kind of lazy. Like and and I think that we've got to be more straightforward. And if it's not going to go over well, like if you know that before a conversation happens, then be creative about how you get it to come across more straightforward. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, they're really like result oriented mindset student athlete, then, you know, maybe print out the results, Mm -hmm. highlight them and say, Hey, look, like, so it's not as much from you. It's like, look, here's the reality. And, and I think that's the piece that um, I wish that more people had done that with myself. And it happens, I think the, the ones we disserve the most are actually the ones who are winning mm-hmm. a lot. And I, I find that to be the most important people to push on your team is, is the one who's winning. Like Donna is, she doesn't have an easy road here. Like yeah. it's not easy and, and that's, that's great. That's what's, that's what's helped her is that you can be 11 and one. And I'm still going to talk about a couple of the things you got to do to get better because 11 and one is 11 and one. It doesn't get you anything. It doesn't make you a career. It doesn't, it's, and I know that, I mean, I was, I don't know, like 72 and four at Miami. And, and I, I think people throw around that all the time. And I'll tell you what, like that doesn't get you anything. It doesn't win you an NCAA championship. It doesn't, it doesn't get your team to be able to be in a position to win. It doesn't do anything other than, you know, maybe make you feel like you're getting better, even though you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, completely. That's, can you name the four? I bet you could name the four. I, I think I could. Yeah. <laughs> Two were at ACC tournament. Uh, one. Yeah. I, I think one, I always struggle that ACC's in Cary, North Carolina. I don't know why. Like that place, and we went there this year, this fall, and I, I just was looking around. I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> that court over there. <laughs> That's one of the four. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the four for sure. I like it. No, that's funny. Yeah, my problem, i just be like, you know, Goosey, uh, 18-5's cute. Like, that's cool. Like, I guess we could do that this season. She'd be like, no, I want to, you know, that'd be a problem. I'd just be talking way too much smack. And so (laughs) that's why I'm out of the game. Um, Yeah, and that's the only reason why. It has nothing to do with my quality of play. But, uh, no, with all that said, again, you talked about the Norman Open there this fall. And I kind of want to transition into recruiting here because you mentioned the fact you bring in a couple of transfers as well but i want to start with that pro tennis piece how valuable is it to have pro tennis in your hometown you know on campus in town how do you think that's an essential part of recruiting at this point 
I think so. I think for us it is. It's mm -hmm. a, an essential part. It's like a free date of competition. So they get an extra date of competition there and it's at home. And um, and I think uh, it's pre it's practicing what you preach, right? So mm -hmm. if you say to them, like, you, you this is a pathway to pro tennis and, and that's then we host a tournament on campus, it's like, we're, we're not just going to say what we are going to do for you. And then, and then you get here and your, your, your role and your plans change. Uh, it's, we really practice what we preach on. And I think that sometimes hurts us in the recruiting process is that I'm so straightforward, but at the same time, um, this is, this is what we have to offer. And this is what, this is how we're going to help you and, and being straightforward and really honest with that process is big, but Norman open helps us get people to Oklahoma that typically would not come. And then when they get here and they see how nice our facility is and, and how our staff is and just how nice people are here and what we have resource wise is, uh, has been a, a fantastic part of it. And I think that's been, um, you know, as we built it year to year as the Norman open, it's now become like a chain of tournaments. Like we have our own little franchise. So, um, it's, it's, to be honest, it's a pain to, uh, I, it's very, I'm very hands-on with it. It doesn't run itself. Uh, we have to raise all the money. We have to raise all of the relationships with different places in town. And it's a lot of legwork and, and I'm thankful to the people around that have, have helped that legwork come around. And, um, you know, from our men's coach, Nick Kroll, he's helped a lot we've partnered in it and so the norman open series is is really a co-ed series we've hosted dual gender 25 and 15 k's andrescu won it here before she went on to win the u.s open later that year um and we had collins was here she won it and we've had a lot of really great players come through norman oklahoma and for no other reason other than our pro tournament has anyone asked you to throw a wild card to yourself and play doubles with them Yes, once, and I regret it. Every time I log into UTR, I have to see the loss. <laughs> yeah, it's reflected now. It's just yeah, yeah, 0 and like 1 a, in the UTR. Yeah, oh, that's exactly. brutal. Like yeah, the they'll print it out. That that would be how they trash talk you. Um, yeah. But no, with, with that in mind, obviously, and again, you talk about the to host a pro event, raising the money and fostering that tennis community within Norman, and obviously uh, with the arrival of NIL rules and players able to benefit off of their name image and likeness how do you think that impacts recruiting moving forward does it in a sport like tennis i think it hasn't impacted us yet to a, a big extent uh, i think the the future is it will change that um as especially as corporations start to realize that the male athlete market is saturated so yeah. you know it's tapping into female athletes and female athletes even at at, at our level like realizing that you know collins went to college like for example like you know these there are good players that are going to start to transition from college to the tour and and i, I think you're going to see a lot more nil deals that are not just product only or a couple grand here or there you're going to see bigger ones uh from the women's side and you see it in gymnastics uh, a little bit right now you see it in maybe some in women's basketball but i i think as time goes on it's not it's not going to get smaller yeah, no, That's you just feel like a city yeah. like Norman, again, the Corley sisters, I could sell that, like, put yeah. it in right there. You feel like you could find, and especially, college, you know, because in Norman, Oklahoma is the sports team. Yeah, Oklahoma yeah. is the community. So I feel like 
if again yeah. a state school like Oklahoma perfectly situated uh, to benefit off of those NIL rules um, but with that said again last part of recruiting here and, and you mentioned it yeah you bring in a blue chip freshman from Tulsa you bring in a couple of players and then you also bring in a couple of transfers as well how do you balance those two things right now and obviously it's more pronounced because we have five years of high school graduates due to the extra year from COVID but in yeah. recruiting how do you balance bringing in the freshman talent the players you're going to have four years with with the fact that hey if I look at the transfer portal right now I can find a five I can find a six if I really need to right I think the um, transfers are our freshmen as well okay. from a, sure. a developmental standpoint and team camaraderie team building team leadership and and you just have less time <laughs> you know but I think having that mentality of square one with everybody who comes in and not square one because they they're not of level but square one because if you start at square three square one and two how how it is within your program they're, they're not capable of being at three so we're doing them a disservice by thinking that they're capable of square three mm-hmm. so i think starting everybody at square one and maybe that's a freshman mentality however you want to look at it but that's our standard and our standard, when they come in, they're not going to be expected to have their standard at a higher level just because they're a junior transfer. Mm-hmm. They're expected to have our standard at the freshman level when they're in their first year here, so the first level. So I think that's something we uh, really hone in on, and I, I think there's always – it's like every transfer or freshman – um, if you're a transfer, there's probably a reason why you're a transfer. And uh, I say that as a transfer myself. I went to Northwestern, then I transferred to Miami. I had a big back injury in between and um, dealt with a lot. But I was still a freshman when I got to Miami. I was still a very selfish mentality. I wasn't um, – I didn't really – grow out of that until I, I was in a new situation where I was forced to grow out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm curious because, again, you've had a, this experience as well. Has uh, transferring – oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Has transferring been destigmatized? Like I feel like 2007 to 2011, someone transfers, you think, oh, it's a bad program. Oh, it's a bad coach. It's a bad player. Nowadays, it's just kind of like – Ah, you know, the fit wasn't right. We're moving on. And so I do think it can be rushed, but I do feel like that destigmatization is a good thing for college sports. Yeah, I, I think it's uh I I think it was always a really big part of college tennis. If you okay. look at the research on it, college tennis has the had historically the highest proportion of transfers. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the amount of athletes we start in relationship to our roster size. So if you look at everybody feels like they should play. Yeah. And if they're not playing, then you have a lot of disappointed people who are heard transferring. And now I think the biggest thing that, and I think it's a great thing. The, the biggest part of transferring is if you have a very keen eye on getting better and feeling like you're getting better, mm-hmm. If you are an athlete that knows that, knows when you're getting better and you're able to be honest with yourself and that's why you're hitting the portal, then you better hit it fast. Yeah. And you better find a place where you truly know you're going to get better. And I think that's the piece that a lot of it's it's a, holding a lot of coaches accountable to mm-hmm. investing in their student athletes. And it, historically we we didn't really have to you know 
they were so scared of transferring. They didn't know what their options were. They didn't know that they would have options. They didn't know all those things. So I, I think that's a, a really good piece of it is, is there's a lot of accountability on really coaching and developing. And if you don't, they're going to find a place where they, they get it. And, uh, and as they should, as I would have done too. Yeah. No, I, hearing that word accountability, that I think that's a great word to put on it. It definitely forces the coaches. I mean, yeah, if if you guys aren't working hard, players, players talk. You know that. And so everyone knows the scoop, what's happening everywhere. And I do think that's a fascinating element moving forward now. Again, last few questions for you. Looking at your schedule this year. Shout out to you, Coach Cohen. Again, to get Princeton's coming to town, South Carolina's coming to town, Arizona State, USC both coming to town, you know, your Illinois is coming to town, you're going to UCF. And then I think my favorite piece of scheduling to get the sneak in that Pepperdine match at the end of April, have them come to town as well. That is a tough schedule. And obviously you've got Big 12 season as well. What leads to that philosophy? Um, it's funny. My staff is always on me about this is, <laughs> is I uh, traditionally am really aggressive in scheduling and it's because you're building resilience at the end of it. Really. Our job is to help them build resilience so that they're as prepared for the battle at the end of the season as possible. And if you have cakewalks along the way, you're going to have false confidence and false bravado and you're going to get your <laughs> kicked at the end. And so, um, you know, I think that's the, the beauty of, of college tennis is that we have autonomy over a couple of pieces, not our conference schedule, but we do have the ability to improve our, our non-conference schedule and prepare ourselves for the battle in the long run. And that's what I try to do every year. I don't try to foster a, uh, you know, 17 and three season and, you know, have this, Oh, we had a great season. We were this at the end of the year, because it's not about me. And, you know, if I go into my end of the year meeting with my AD and he sees 17 and three versus, uh, 11 and and nine that he's going to obviously think the 17 and three is great. Right. So um, I think that's where it's, it's not about me. It's about preparing for the battle and preparing that battle of life too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you didn't have tough matches and every week you got to wake up and you're going to, to war in this really tough grind, like that's, that's what life is going to look like. And I think a lot of times they're not prepared for that because they've been, um, they've had a coddled path along the way and i i think it just here here here's what it is let's go after let's you know let's take all the biggest challenges we can take and um and see how we do and get better no matter what but someone came in the office after seeing pepperdine was like Fuck you like come on we're not doing that right like at some point they did yeah that. Yeah, well, I don't know if you know this, but my wife is actually our volunteer assistant, Cobra, yeah. and uh, and Cobra is like she really prefers an easier schedule, and yeah. and she took over for me after North Florida, and uh, and Cobra is so funny because when she got the job first, walking into North Florida, mm-hmm. the schedule was like South Carolina coming to them, yeah. like them at home. I think FSU was coming, uh, and then they had like it was all these Power Fives, and and she was like. I looked at this guy, I talked to her when she first got the job there and we, we didn't really know each other nearly as well as we do now, but, um, but she said, well, like what I I couldn't, I mean, what the hell, like, (laughs) this is, this is ridiculous. Like, do you think we're like in the ACC? (laughs) And, and, uh, and so we laughed about it, but yeah, she's always laughing at me, like telling me we've got to put it in some easier matches. And I, I'm like, no, we're, we're good. Yeah, don't well, worry. With that in mind, last year, 500 rule goes away. And obviously that wasn't something you guys had to think about. 15-7, you get into the tournament. But would you like that rule to go away permanently? 
yeah, I think it's in our best interest. I think it's in the student athlete's best interest. I think it's, uh, it hurts us. It hurts us a lot. It also, uh, it's empowering too many of the small schools to ask us for guarantee money. And, uh, that ultimately is, is something ADs need to look at is, is getting rid of it would be pivotal for them to save money too. So, um, I, that's one thing that's a really big pet peeve of mine is that we're all not revenue producing sports. Like yeah. if, when a small school asks us for free everything, when they come play us, we, I, I understand that, that ask I was in that position too. I mean, our budget at North Florida was half of our Nike only budget at yeah. OU. So I understand that ask big time, but on the other side of it, um, you know, I think that understanding the position that puts us in is tennis with our athletic directors and with our, with our programs. And, and that, that, that I think is something we need to really look at and consider as we continue to, to be competitive. And as the NCAA uh, is maybe less powerful and the power five becomes a little bit more powerful. So I think as we move forward, that's something we really have to discuss as coaches and discuss honestly is what the, the 500 rule, it, it helps and it hurts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And with all of that in mind, some final questions down the home stretch. I know I'm going over time here, but uh, you look for your team. NCAA tournaments the past two seasons for you guys, and I believe that means what for you, 2019 was the first since 2015, I want to say, for the program, and now you've made it two years in a row. What's the next step you'd like to see from your team here in 2022? Yeah, I think uh, hosting NCAAs mm -hmm. would be a really big goal. That's a, a big goal of ours, and, and – uh, getting to the final site would be a big goal. And uh, I think it's the, there's a lot of pieces that go into play with that. There's some, some of it is luck and, you know, the draw, you don't have a lot of control over those things. Like, Oh, there's so many things that go into it, but ultimately, um, you know, preparing as if that's our goal and that process of getting like of wanting that is it's going to get us somewhere and it's going to get us somewhere uh hopefully there <laughs> um but it, it's going to help us get better and it's going to help the program grow and continue to push them to achieve more and i think that's what uh, we want to do as a team but it's really the the small the, all the battles along the way that you fight is is the person you're becoming so how you address those battles how you address like you know the maybe the bad luck here or there and how you how you manage that and and the resilience you build with that is is what we coach here yeah no and again so it's a loaded big 12 i mean top to bottom obviously <laughs> texas at the top but you guys oklahoma state texas tech iowa state has a fantastic fall you can go up and down the line uh it's going to be tough conference play obviously and you know again with all that said something because we're interviewing all the power five coaches and you know some of our listeners players co uh, parents haven't heard from you all give me the recruiting pitch why should i come to norman why should i be a sooner because you want to get better. And <laughs> I, I think that's the absolute, our number one thing. It's like, you want to get better and the proof is in the pudding. Like mm -hmm. we had a, you know, Lily was here, Lily Miyazaki. She was, mm -hmm. uh, I think 100 and something ranked when I, when I first got here, she finished her first fall 10 in the country. And now she's 220 in the world. She's ranked higher than I was. I think she's actually higher than that. She's around 210, 215. So uh, constantly climbing and it, 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 I'm not going to take credit for Lily. Look, like we didn't even recruit Lily to Oklahoma. The former coach Dave did, which is unbelievable. But I'll say that helping her to see the ways that she can get better, not just ignoring somebody who does everything right, 
and letting her just kind of run her own show, like showing her, look, if you do these things, you're going to get better. And that piece of it, if you want to get better, this is the place to do it. Mm-hmm. You're going to be challenged in every aspect of your tennis and your life and your academics. And that's from Cobra runs a full top to bottom mental skills program. Um, Jose is the reps guy. He'll stay on the court with you and give you every rep like he's the hardest working guy I've ever been around. And I'm going to constantly push you on your overall plan and and who you're becoming within that plan. So if you want to get better and you want to achieve big things, you want to be pushed every day, then this is the place. If you want it to be comfortable and you want it to be easy and you want it to uh, you want to get the cost of attendance and the free stuff and the Nike and all the cool (laughs) things, then this is not the place for you. But you'll get those things also. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Well, with that said, we'll rapid fire down the home stretch. No yeah. ad scoring. Has it grown on you? Yeah, I like it. I think it builds weapons. Yeah, right? It's it's just – I like the sudden death aspect too. I always say yeah. doubles point is Russian roulette, and it's the most fun 40 minutes for, in yeah. my opinion, all of tennis because three courts, you can follow it all. Every point seems to matter that much. That said – do you feel the lull in between doubles and the first set of singles? Is that a concern you worry about for fans? Absolutely. I think we should play simultaneous. Oh. I've been that for years and years. I think oh. we should play simultaneous. I love it. So yeah. with that in mind, some format suggestions for you. Yes. Would you go 4-1 in that simultaneous, four singles, one doubles? Yes, I'd go four singles, doubles in the middle, two singles on each side, a five-court format, and every match counts as one doubles is uh you you actually don't have to change out your doubles teams every match so you can specialize them okay and uh and i think it builds your uh, your ability to have a, a doubles team you can market together a uh you build that camaraderie with with your doubles team and then also your singles players are not uh, everybody you can build your marquee how you want to mm-hmm. now i also think it gives you the opportunity wait for it to work in substitutions so doubles team is done i want to throw you in at number one i want to throw you in at number four would you be fine with the substitution being added it sounds like maybe absolutely i think it would be the most entertaining and awesome thing for our sport if we want to have increased viewership and we want to have a format that can be on tv in a two-hour time slot and also keep our spectators engaged it is the that i mean unbelievable look at world team tennis they do it and i think we could be even better than world team tennis because we're consistent over the course of a season mm-hmm. um you don't have just a marquee player for a couple matches and then fill-ins here and there like you've got your crew and the the crew that the daughters that come out and watch up in the stands they build a relationship with each one of our student athletes as they watch them week in and week out Plus the closer role. Like, just imagine having a closer on your roster. It'd be like, all right, we need you in for the break, or we need you in for the hold. I, I agree. I think that's captivating. That said, we talked about it earlier. Do things like that compromise development? No, I think they don't compromise development for one reason. What is development? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, dealing with being replaced, dealing with uh, dealing with having to go in there and absorb pressure, dealing with coaches' decisions, dealing with all those things like – I mean, dealing with it and and getting better through it. It's like 
look at our football team coach has to take out Spencer Rattler and puts in another quarterback and it's a freshman and uh, and you know you got to deal with that like that's the reality everybody's replaceable so I tell the girls that all the time I tell, I tell our staff that everybody's replaceable and even me and I'm the most replaceable out of everybody. So um, I would say that's the biggest lesson you can learn in life is like, if you can't handle that kind of pressure, then you don't belong where you are. Mm-hmm. One last change for you. Coin toss out. I think we can do better. So in lieu of that, one point, drop and hit, head coach versus head coach, winner decides the serving arrangements. <laughs> I don't know about that. I... <laughs> Accountability. You lose three in a row. You're telling me they're not coming up to you, coach. You're on the track with us tomorrow. Like, this is unacceptable. I think you're going to have a lot of underhand serving. (laughs) No, chip and charge because no one can hit a pass anymore. So that's the the goal there. Well, then, my last question for you. uh, Again, when teams are watching Oklahoma play this season, what do you want their takeaway to be? Energy. Uh, Energy and and resilient energy. So even if you lose a point or something doesn't go your way, you get hooked on a deuce point like – you bring it to the next point, like no feeling sorry for you. You move on and you bring energy on every point because like, what's the alternative? Yeah. No, I love it. And again, I, for whatever it's worth, I, I don't know what, you know, if you're looking for some billboard material, a lot of sleeper talk about the Oklahoma Sooners this year. feels like you guys have something special brewing uh, down in Norman. So coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, obviously wishing you and the team safety, health throughout the course of the year and spot is Thanks. always open for you on this show. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Take care, coach. You too. Shalom. Uh. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 